Welcome to Impact Audio. I'm Carrie Ann Strickland, CMO at Submittable. Today's episode features a conversation between Sam Kaplan, Submittable's VP of Social Impact, and John Moore. John is the Chief Information Officer of the MacArthur Foundation. He oversees foundation-wide technology services and planning, and is responsible for developing a strong and sustainable infrastructure. With a background in higher education, experience working with startups, and a long tenure in the punk band Tar. John brings a unique perspective and a well of creativity to his work. And now, John and Sam. All right, John Moore, Chief Information Officer at the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Welcome to Impact Audio, my friend. Thanks for having me. I thought maybe we should just start by like, everybody would love to hear like your origin story as it relates to philanthropy. Tell us how you wound up at MacArthur Foundation. Yeah, so um, not a traditional career path, I guess, is is what I would say. So in the mid-90s, I moved to Seattle. I had a bit of a background in management information systems. Uh, that was my undergraduate degree um, in operations management. So it was a business degree, but was really excited about technology. And then along came this thing called the Internet, which seemed like a total game changer. But moved to Seattle in 95, determined to work for a startup. Um, got a startup job in in late 95. Um, that lasted two years. Uh, acquisition, uh, suddenly working for a public company, closed its little division in Seattle. We were selling software over the internet, if you can imagine that back then in the, <laughs> in the uh, what, 50, 56K modem days. Second company startup was selling... Uh, content community and e-commerce called the Mountain Zone. Uh, that was another two-year stint, including acquisition, working for a public company. Realized at that point that public companies and me didn't get along real well. Uh, and uh, in 2002, I started working at the University of Chicago, leading an internal web development team, which was both applications, so you could think of it as maybe digital transformation, Uh, pre that term, and then um, working with communications for things like the public-facing website or departmental or divisional websites. So that was a, um, I did that for, I think, three or four or five years, somewhere in there. Um, And that was a good-sized group of a couple dozen people. Then um, helped implement a development fundraising system for the university. That was a 18-ish month project. Then um, the last few years I was there, I uh, ran uh, academic systems, which is all of the systems related to um, students, and also uh, admissions. And so it was a you know sort of a combination of innovation, modern technologies, and then large enterprise systems. There's no excitement like opening up your website and 15,000 students all registering for classes at the same time. So, um, however, after a couple years of that, I. Uh, noticed a pattern in the academic calendar and felt like my role was becoming kind of routine and felt like maintenance. So I started looking elsewhere and then the fabulous opportunity at MacArthur came up, applied for that and just thought, well, what the heck, maybe maybe I have a shot. And it's been almost nine and a half years now. I'm wondering, once you got to MacArthur, like, 
did working for a large foundation that grants hundreds of millions of dollars to uh, to the community, did that sort of start changing your perspective about the work that you're doing? Did you develop a, you know, sort of a different sense of purpose or meaning around uh, the work that you do? Um, I think it was a continuum. So at the university, you know, there's maybe 18,000 students now and 20,000 staff and faculty. So you're a, a little cog in this big city. But, you know, it's both abstract in that, you know, the students and researchers are there and the objective of the university is to create knowledge. So, um, you know, I totally support that and it's inspiring, you know, during convocation or graduation days to see um, these students or see them walk in on the first day of class. So that idea of changing the world fit totally with MacArthur, except that MacArthur has something like 200 people total. So um, my opportunity for personal impact, you know, proportionally is much greater. Um, Interestingly, the size of MacArthur's endowment is similar to the size of the University of Chicago's endowment, which at the time, I think was around $6 billion. So that's you know quite quite a difference right where you've got a university with that kind of endowment or uh, a foundation with you know a targeted set of program areas and big bets and whatnot so you know i still like to think that my work uh you know aspires to and hopefully helps change the world in some way but there's a there's a consistency there um you know in terms of that motivation and incentive you know the pursuit of quarterly goals, financial goals, and, you know, measuring yourself by that or how the um, Wall Street or the market measures you just has never really clicked for me. And, and so, you know, intrinsic motivation or some kind of passion really resonates with me. Um, and, and that's the case even going back to um, pre that 25 years when I was, you know, an independent musician and we were you know, sort of bootstrapping and driving around the country in a van and, you know, doing it for the, the love and, and passion of what we were doing. <laughs> Definitely. All right. So that's a perfect segue here. So um, you're welcome. One, <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> one, one thing that, you know, I used to be able to say, like, I don't think a lot of people know this about you. And I don't think I can say that anymore. I actually think uh, more and more and more people actually uh, are, are recognizing you from uh uh, from your days as as being uh, in the band Tar um, in Chicago, mm-hmm. a, uh, what I would say is a, a famous famous punk rock band that has come out of Chicago. You were on a big label, you toured the country, you toured uh, uh, you toured the world multiple times, right? Yep. So, uh, tell give us a little bit more background about your uh, your days as a, a punk rock star, and then let's talk about like how that influences your work today. Yeah, so TAR existed um, actively from 88 through 95. I graduated from college in 87. There was a precursor band to TAR, but we evolved into TAR. We played hundreds of shows. I don't know how many tours of the U.S., four, five, six, uh, and then lots of smaller jaunts and three tours of Europe, four albums, um, two EPs, a whole bunch of singles and odds and ends um but um you know the the indie rock if you will was about you know you know a diy ethic um doing things yourself um 
you know, getting on the phone to arrange gigs, a lot of networking and grassroots kind of um, communication and support with interested, like-minded people. It, uh, again, was really sort of about the pursuit of the music and the satisfaction in creating it, not for some higher-level aspirations of uh, stardom or some sort of level of fame. So, you know, the the success, um, I think, was measured by you know, one, doing what you wanted to do, finding out that others enjoyed or appreciated or valued it, and then just the, you know, creating things that didn't exist before, um, you know, making music um, in, in this case, and, you know, artists are creating all kinds of things. So, you know, it, it was, you know, it was its own satisfaction. It wasn't about any sort of stardom objectives or things like that. I'm wondering, like, do you do you have a connection, like, with the work that you're doing at MacArthur today to, you know, your years playing guitar and uh, touring the country and sort of just doing things for the sheer love of it? So, so I think <laughs> uh, one thing, and this relates, I believe, to IT careers in general, is is one of both humility and and optimism, and uh, you know, I, maybe I'd contrasted a little in my startup years, which were largely technology-driven companies where technology was the star of the show, which was pretty exciting. And other organizations, technology is in a supporting role, um, but we should get back to whether or not that's where it is or should be today. You know, so sort of being okay with that and being, um, I don't know, humble, I guess, is <laughs> is a is a lesson or something to keep in mind. You know, doing this kind of, the being an indie rock musician is a lot of work. Um, you know, writing songs, you're driving your own vehicles, you're booking your own shows, you're doing your own publicity. You, you know, just roll up your sleeves and do it yourself. You know, on the other hand, over a period of time, uh, you know, you can accomplish quite a lot and it can be impressive. Um, you know, it's not for me to judge whether or not my music stuff's impressive, but certainly it was productive. I think the other thing, you know, so there's a lot of hard work and there's no getting around it. I think the people I've most appreciated interacting with and being associated with and admiring have been, um, have had a lot of integrity and a lot of honesty and, you know, along those lines carry themselves well. And, you know, as a result, like, I, I can, you know, feel good about the way I've operated and behaved and interacted with others. And I, I think that's important as well, right? So, you know, and that can tie into then leadership qualities, right? If you're behaving with integrity and honesty and authenticity, that's meaningful and that's powerful. I think now flipping to the professional side, one of the things I'm most proud of and satisfied with is continually creating strong, high-performing teams. You know, it's it's hard to do, um, but developing high-performing teams that are sustainable even after the leader leaves uh, really makes a statement about the strength of the team. Right. You know, one thing I think that I discovered um, as I made my way uh, sort of deeper into uh, uh, leadership in the world of philanthropy is that IT teams, particularly at at grant-making organizations, are really like, 
you know, entrepreneurial and very scrappy. You know, you're you're typically like you typically never have the resources that you really want to be able to get everything done that people are asking you to do. And so you have to really think very creatively and sort of outside the box and, you know, really kind of figure out like how to meet everybody's needs and, you know, how to I think transition the, the sort of worldview of technology from being in that supporting role that you mentioned to sort of a more strategic place. Um, and I would ask like to that end, like where do you feel like MacArthur is in its, its technology journey? Like over the last 10 years, based on like all that you've done at MacArthur and sort of your vision for the future, like, or do you feel like it at tech it at uh, MacArthur is becoming more strategic? Um, yes, is the direct answer. Um, I think we've come a long way in that time, you know, and to be strategic, you know, you've got to have good relationships with, um, any number of people at the, at the organization. And one of the things I did when I joined MacArthur was, you know, I looked at an org chart, which, um, at the time was kind of hard to get, which was interesting and maybe a little bit telling, but then I, as I started talking to people, I, I made a, an impact chart of those who I thought had uh, influence and you know, power within the organization and tried to navigate and lead with that in mind. I think the biggest change in terms of that progression has been a couple of years ago when um, our president, John Palfrey, joined the foundation. And he has a very strong technology background, you know, and has used that um, when he led the Berkman Klein Center at Harvard. So, you know, the question that John posed to me shortly after joining that still rattles in my head is, how can um, technology be used more strategically in the sector? And John's the third president uh, at MacArthur in the time I've been there. And the, um, the first that asked that question. So, you know, that reflects a transition from a supporting role or an administrative capacity into one of both leadership and, you know, strong influence, and then the opportunity for innovation as well. And speaking of innovation, everybody is really interested in, um, and sort of watching MacArthur, like on a number of fronts. And in our little corner of the sector, that would be like, what's MacArthur doing, like from an IT perspective. Um, and I think there's a lot of eyes on, on, you know, your organization and your team to sort of learn from what you're doing and how you're doing it. And, you know, a real appetite to sort of gather information on, on, you know, what mistakes have you made and what have you learned and what's next in line, uh, uh, you know, for the team at MacArthur. And I, I know um, now you are, you and your colleague, uh, uh, Elizabeth, are leading a really interesting project with a cohort of other funders um, exploring something called a common grant application. And by the way, I think this is probably one of the most intriguing topics in, in philanthropy today. Everybody is is really interested in figuring out if there is a place for a common grant application uh, in philanthropy. So would you mind giving us a little like background on, on this project and, uh, you know, what, what you think is, uh, next in line for this? Yeah, let's see. So maybe a little bit broader and then going into it. The, the reason I have the time or capacity to, to do this and work on this is because of the digital transformation that occurred and, and building that high performing team. And, you know, that took a good, uh, I'll say half dozen years 
That um, that effort to me is informed by a few things. One is if you don't like the state of things, whether it's music or um, the way information is conveyed, find willing uh, and committed partners and figure out how to solve those problems. So <laughs> let's talk about our sector. Uh, so here we have grant seekers who have limited funds and assets, right, which is why they're seeking grants, um, spending significant amount of time, uh, 20 hours, 30 hours, 40 hours on an application, depending on how extensive it is, and sending it uh, hopefully online. Um, and again, we went online with our modern system six years ago, so I'll let you guess what we did prior to that. But um, that was 2015. Um, and so you spend dozens of hours submitting your app and it goes somewhere and then you hear something at some point. And then when you need to send another application, you spend a very similar amount of time as a grant seeker submitting that and submitting that and submitting that. So if you're a well-resourced organization, you've got grant writers, um, but it's the same information, right? I mean, at least a chunk of it is. And we've learned from the 100 forms in 100 days and from the project I'm working on that somewhere between 35 and 40% of that information is the same information app after app. So why can't that information be shared from uh, funder to funder, recipient to recipient? So from a technology perspective, we know this is possible. And in fact, from my time in higher ed, when I supported admissions, I saw that change happened when the common app happened in um, the field of admissions. And it took a couple of years to happen. There was naysayers who said it couldn't happen, uh, but it did. And now that is a standard that, that happens in the admission systems all support that and have interoperability with that data. So, you know, and, and that isn't necessarily the genesis of this, but rather the need and desire to better support uh, grant seekers to more effectively and efficiently apply for grants. And then hopefully, and you know, more to follow on this through uh, process improvement and hopefully trans transformation more broadly, get quicker access to that capital. I mean, some of that is operational and process change, which is certainly related. So, so our, our effort, um, this common grant app for philanthropy, is to one, understand what these common elements are. Um, and I think we've understood that now. Present a model for how this data can be shared uh, in an extensible way and, and in an interoperable way. And you know, there's models for that. And then once there's greater, and that's what our effort right now is targeting for, is a, is a proof of concept to demonstrate how this can be shared and what that paradigm looks like. And once we deliver that in the fall, later in the fall, uh, then we'll look to add more participants to our effort. We currently have a, a small uh, number of uh, partner orgs. We call it the Minimally Viable Coalition of six other funders um, working on this. But the models for data sharing, standardization, exist and they have demonstrated you know the benefit of that so you know at a high level that's 
that's what our project in, intends to do. But the priority, and I think the equitable priority, is around um, the grant seeker getting the benefit and the grant seeker controlling their own information and determining how they want that to be shared. Right. So, so in many ways, like a common grant application just beautifully aligns with um, so many of the movements that we saw emerge over the course of, of the last couple of years in grant making, like trust-based philanthropy and participatory grant making, um, you know, streamlining uh, work and reducing administrative burden. And, and I think it's super interesting. You mentioned that uh, sort of based on the work that, that TAG did with their 100 Forms project and, and based on your own analysis, you're discovering that, you know, somewhere less than half, but maybe around half of the questions uh, that are on most grant applications are the same or very similar. You know, the real beauty here is that uh, a uh, an applicant, right, or a, uh, a nonprofit organization can complete that 40 to 50% of data um, that is common to so many applications out there and just do it once and not have to do it over and over and over again, right? And save, uh, you know, potentially hundreds or even thousands of hours um, in terms of uh, saved administrative effort. Or alternately, that time could then be spent on, you know, talking about the work itself or spending it on the work and not on writing grant applications. Yeah, the you know, you think about how data can be shared. And so we could flip back to the democratization of information or even, you know, to the earliest idealistic uh, objectives of the internet or, or at least of the World Wide Web, you know, and, and what was possible. Um, I mean, I'm not going to be naive or innocent enough to say that we're going to have that kind of impact. But when data can be shared in a low cost, low friction way, you know, all kinds of innovation and benefit can occur. Yeah. Do you think that a common app like could have occurred had it not been for all of the events that happened um, over the course of last year? And the reason that I ask is that um, there are a lot of examples of attempts being made at developing a common application, and mm -hmm. some of them have been more successful than others. We know a lot of the regional grant makers have had some success in developing a common application that was used with dozens or even hundreds of funders. But you know, in the end, um, those efforts always seem to fizzle out. But I would, I would, you know, speculate that. Uh, with all of the emphasis that we saw on making grant making more equitable and addressing the power imbalance between uh, funders and, and applicants, it was almost a perfect storm that led to MacArthur Foundation leading the effort to develop what may become a common application that is finally accepted on a wide scale across philanthropy. I think a lot of the right things are in place. You, know, you talk about equity, I think that's certainly one. I think the pandemic that we are in the midst of invites all types of creativity and creative thinking uh, to figure out how we can make something good out of what we're all in the midst of. The technologies are there, but um, I think the effort needs to be a collaborative, cooperative one. It's not going to happen through a, um, a competitive kind of situation. So, you know, that limits perhaps the field of who could um, lead this. I think a lot of organizations could. 
getting uh, either the bandwidth or executive support is really important. So I'm feeling fortunate that you know we've got John Palfrey as our leader, and that he highly values and prioritizes this. You know, again, my in my own professional, personal, professional situation, I have some bandwidth because I've built a great, strong team. You know, I'm also hearing and talking to uh, the grants management software companies, a lot of receptivity, uh, hearing a lot of interest and support from organizations that provide a very important infomediary kind of role, you know, who have large amounts of data on um, grantees or nonprofits. Um, those aren't always the same as the grant seekers or, you know, the grant seekers likely outnumber those who get grants, but that's impressive as well. You know, the uh, lower friction um, evolution of APIs and the greater utilization of those, and certainly in different sectors. If you look at the financial sector and fintech, it's just an astounding amount of innovation and because standards exist there now, there's also incredible investment. Our sector's not there yet, so there's an opportunity there to utilize that. But the models exist in in other sectors, so it's it's certainly as good a time as any. It's going to take a lot of effort and persistence, and probably resilience. I mean, as as we try to move this forward, we may have some missteps and may have some failures, but um, you know, back to the humility, like we're trying to figure it out. And that's, you know, that's, that's okay. If you've ever been performing live and had someone throw an object at you that may or may not be full of something, you, you learn about resilience in a, in a real time aspect. So um, I'm, I guess I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that too. And I uh, really appreciate the fact that, uh, MacArthur is one of, of several funders who has stepped forward now to uh, help spearhead the work. And, you know, to your point around interoperability and data standardization, something like a common application can really help usher in some of these data standards that have um, emerged in, in other sectors and, and have become so powerful. And I think with a common grant application, we may finally have the ability to start to look at um, data that has been normalized across mm -hmm. multiple multiple foundations and multiple grant management systems um, and start to see some insights in that data that are impossible to see otherwise. So I think it's super exciting. Yeah, I, I, I want to add, you know, so to that percentage, I, when I sort of shared those numbers early on with someone I was trying to gauge their interest level with, they they were super enthusiastic and, uh, and optimistic, which um, was a pleasant surprise for me. And they said, gosh, if we could even get 20%, that would be amazing. But there's a lot of data being collected and, you know, more or most recently, DEI information. Um, I, I've heard from a, a colleague who runs a, a nonprofit that as, as she was filling out applications, she kept getting asked DEI information, which is understandable. But it was it was um, consistently slightly different, and you know so perhaps and hopefully um, there can be some you know nudging or influencing and in saying here is I don't know twenty two dozen DEI questions, but as we look at these 
we're really asking the same eight questions or you know something and could we say these are the starting point for the DEI questions these eight and so suddenly you know so so then we can can we do something there that gets that 40% to 43% or 45% you know or you know and so you play that out um, with some encouragement and nudging and visibility you know so we're at a starting point right so again thinking optimistically can that number get higher uh, we need to get agreement around a paradigm of how this information is shared and how it's governed but you know then can what can we do from a continuous improvement perspective as we as we collectively see what this information looks like so you know more reasons to to be optimistic yeah i totally agree i think that the work that you uh, and and your uh, other funders and, and nonprofits in the cohort, um, I think the work that you're doing is really going to help usher in a new era of grant making and and more importantly a new mindset around change uh, for so many grant makers out there. So I'm excited to see the fruits of your labor when the proof of concept is published, and uh, I will have you back on for another episode of Impact Audio uh, to hear about phase two of this exciting project. That sounds good. Um, I do want to add, and this was true in music and in building teams, one of the most satisfying aspects of my work is having good collaborators. And so you mentioned Liz Kane, um, and she and I worked together that half dozen plus years ago to implement our grants management system. And you know, working with her on this common grant app for philanthropy project is is part of, I think, what gives me optimism and satisfaction both in you know our likelihood to succeed and also just you know in in doing it every day and so you know i'm thrilled to be on this podcast with you sam um but truly like that effort and and many others and certainly as we seek to influence the sector are going to be collaborations not just you know with um liz my colleague at macarthur but with other funders and technology firms and um, infomediaries throughout the sector. Um, and I think to your point about trust-based philanthropy, you know, we see things um, like Mackenzie Scott's work and, you know, that's both inspiring and a, re a reflection of how, you know, disruptive approaches can have a huge impact, which I think is, is also um, uh, something that is great to see right now and is also inspiring and hopefully encourages other organizations to rethink you know, things like um, unrestricted funding with a significantly lower bar on an application and on due diligence. Thanks for joining us. Check out our episode notes for more great reading on how technology is spurring transformation. Impact Audio is edited and produced by Jordan Marvin and our crew at Submittable. Submittable is a cloud-based social impact platform designed to help your team make better decisions and have a bigger impact. We'd love to partner with you to maximize social good and create lasting change. Find out more at submittable.com. And until next time, take good care.